Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. Help us if I put us back in the box. Hello, and welcome to <laughs> what's in the box. Hello, and welcome to Long Road to Ruin, a production of the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. And I am that Rattledge, your mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Rattledge is what the kids call me. And tonight, it's our Christmas show. Yes, sirry, Bob. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Mad Kwanzaa. Wu-Tang. And whatever else you might be celebrating or not celebrating in this winter season, happy holidays, y'all. And of course, here to um, drink fr- drink my eggnog straight from the spout, ladies and, ge- <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. See, it's always fun to do that with you because you're just like, yeah, whatever. It's cool. I, I got to get, you know, I got to get the crew from the West Virginia, Ohio corridor in here where I make a sexual innuendo. They're just like, no. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, of course, well, 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 of course, you got two, you got two queer people who are on these shows regularly, and you have to co-host with the thirstiest one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mister Thirsty, Sean Comer, you're not. How do you do, sir? Hey, everybody. I hope you are all having a lovely, a lovely, lovely set of holidays. Whatever it is you happen to observe, celebrate, cherish, may it always be with people that you love. Um, and by the way, Mark explicitly told me not to stare dead-eyed into the camera. 
<laughs> and we came back up. So he probably just didn't want me to just go. <laughs> I can see right up. Your I nose. wonder what the frayed threads of your soul taste like. <laughs> Lovely. I like to know. <laughs> so we were supposed to do the show last week, but Sean uh, had some work yep. troubles, and uh, then we were supposed to do it Tuesday, okay. and I had some financial troubles. So it is the last Thursday before Christmas, and I think, and I, <clears throat> I, I think it's kismet that it worked out this way because I, I don't think <clears throat> it was a, bit a better time to do the Home Alone trilogy than right before the right before Christmas, um, like right mm -hmm. right up against it, just grinding up against it. No, sorry. Um, so anyway. Uh, really making it feel. <laughs> yeah. So when Sean and I reconnected and started podcasting again, we had like a laundry list mm -hmm. of stuff that we never got to during the first two runs of Long Road to Ruin. So hey, three times a charm. Mm -hmm. And I have, and and I think my favorite thing to do on Long Road to Ruin was the annual Christmas show. In yeah. years past, uh -huh. we did. I think we we ended round one with the Cornetto trilogy. Jesse and yeah. I did. Yeah, we did. Jesse and I did Gremlins. Um, in mm. in like two you and I did the Santa Claus trilogy. Um, we've always mm. got something going on around Christmas time, and I like <clears> that because you know, despite the most depressing Metal Hammer of Doom jukebox ever. I do still, what I talked about, I'm not really feeling this holiday season for personal reasons. I do still love Christmas and the Christmas season. And I enjoy watching and talking about Christmas uh, Christmas movies. I still um, I still ramble incessantly about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I have been just tackling people like Tigger all around me to tell them all about Yogi's first Christmas. Um, oh, I just... And it's so good. And trying to explain it to mm -hmm. somebody makes you sound like you're on meth. But it's like it's what happens in the movie. Like like this happens and this yeah. happens. And yeah, yeah, Yogi's first Christmas is great. You know, um, I miss the family traditions of watching like Mickey's Christmas Carol with my kids. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that was always fun. So um Home Alone is what we're talking about tonight. And you know, Home Alone is a series of I'm gonna read <clears> the <throat> a second, but it's a series of uh, you know, family-oriented comedies that take place around Christmas time. Christmas plays a central theme in these movies as does family. Um, and I've wanted to talk about the Home Alone series for a while now. It's just you know we just had to wait for a Christmas when we were you know talking and recording and weren't doing anything, weren't doing something else. And so we're finally getting to it, and I couldn't be happier. Um, what's your just quick take on? <clears throat> being a fan of these movies or not being a fan of these movies well you know going back going back a little ways and kind of peeling the curtain back a little bit for a lot of years christmas was a holiday that i actually dreaded really because well yeah because a lot of years built up where i associated christmas with uh stress aggravation being busier than i wanted it to be being much more broke than i wanted it to be um and if it wasn't that after that it was feeling terribly alone at christmas while my life was was kind of adrift and i was kind of groping for a direction for it <clears throat> but ever since i started to really stabilize things the holidays have now become a time that i look forward to again 
it's become that couple of weeks out of the year when I look forward to really settling in, recharging my batteries for a little bit, letting myself maybe half-ass some things in the interest of just giving my brain a rest. But it's also a time of year when I've kind of once more embraced a lot of great Christmas movies, TV specials, albums, video games, what have you. That's right. Um, it's yeah, the one time of year that, I get to play punk rock Christmas and I can blast homo Christmas to yeah, anyone with see? an earshot. <laughs> uh, see, there, there you go. And I have and I have Fariha's full album full of Overwatch related Christmas covers. Nice. That I that I annoy the piss out of Ann and Kiddo with for about a solid month. Um uh, but isn't annoying people with Christmas music just the best? Let me tell you, when the day Melissa made one of many mistakes, this one being, this one being, I don't like Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. You could see both me and my son, and to a lesser degree, my daughter, turn on her like hyenas and chase her around the house playing it incessantly. She got we we went to go get the Christmas tree and I had her, my kids, and um bonus kid in the car. And Jonas goes, Hey dad, you have to play for Trey Christmas Act Round Zero. And yes. I and, and I could physically see Melissa thinking about jumping out of the car while it was moving on the interstate. Or or failing that, the night Santa went crazy. That's another good one. Yeah. But anyway, as I was saying, yes. um this uh like uh, uh, like countless kids who grew up in the 90s, I have fond memories of having seen the original Home Alone in mm-hmm. theaters and being uh, absolutely blown away. It was uh, just the finest comedy I'd ever seen. I'd ever seen in my life. It's always held a special, very dear place in my heart. And Home Alone too, to a lesser extent, I, I think that one has easily aged the worst of the bunch. <laughs> but it's still but but it's still all right it, it's still it's still pretty it's still pretty good um and actually this podcast was the first time i had ever sat down and watched home alone 3 yeah me as well in its entirety yeah. I, I i saw home alone and home alone 2 contemporaneously um when they were released and i remember mm. like home alone is, the first one comes out in 1990 so i'm like a freshman in high school mm-hmm. um you know like 14 years old roughly and it was funny it you know look Pratt Falls are funny physical comedy is funny watching joe pesci and the other guy uh daniel stern i think um daniel stern. yep yep fall on their fall on their ass and head is hilarious you know it's like mm-hmm. even if you I think if you are like I'm a little old, too old for Home Alone, but I think if you are plus or minus a year of his age, he is the he is somebody everyone every boy at the very least, and maybe some girls wanted to be Kevin McAllister, not abused uh, yeah. by you and neglected by your oh, family, but, yeah. but the ability to set saw level traps in your home and to have you know to and to defend your home against two uh, burglars. And when they have every single last <clears throat> trap succeed wildly, it's one of those power fantasies where he's not a superhero. He's he's kind of like you know what we talk about with like Batman or somebody where they don't have superpowers. What they have is ingenuity and talent and will. 
And so, and they are able to use those talents to construct weapons of mass destruction and take out the bad guys. And like, who didn't want to be Kevin and able to do that? And oh, so yeah, yeah. to project yourself onto this child and go, I wish I could abuse adults the way that he does. It's, and then, you know, and then it's so funny because the other side of it is Home Alone is a live action cartoon. <clears throat> These motherfuckers take falls like <laughs> like wild takes like the villains in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I actually kind of disagree with that. And we'll we'll have to get into this as we talk about the first movie. But mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I enjoy most about Home Alone and that I enjoyed least about Home Alone 3. And have that's you... the fact... Go ahead, go ahead. But then I got I a follow-up question for this. Yeah, and, and, and that's the fact that while the traps are imaginative and wonderfully executed and they look great on film and everything cartoonish is not the way i would describe them i would describe them as being judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being perf a perfect balance of hilarious and brutal. So have you ever seen the honest action video for Home Alone where they had where allegedly the screen junkies guys had a <clears throat> real doctor examine Home Alone to tell you how many times Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern would have died? It's, it's not uh, it's as funny. bad as it's not as bad in the first Home Alone. Apparently in Home Alone 2, though, they die about a dozen times. It's it's funny you mentioned that. I I literally could have watched that right before we went on the air, but instead I choose to I chose to watch Legal Eagles video where he talked about just how many laws were broken throughout Home Alone. So instead of the instead of the medical route, the medical route, mm -hmm. um, I I decided to take a more uh, litigious lens. Toward toward one final last minute examination of the source material. The pitch meeting for Home Alone is really funny too because part of it is like we have these two immortal beings. <laughs> he goes into the whole thing, and the producer guy goes, "Okay, we don't have enough time to introduce them as immortal beings. Just introduce them as regular crooks." <laughs> and the guy goes, "There's no way two normal people survive this though. They this doesn't this doesn't work otherwise." Um, so. Um, hey, uh, Robert's brother is watching us on Twitch. I want to say a quick hello to him. He's leaving his comments. Um, oh, hey, so buddy. Just, Legal Eagle slaps incredibly entertaining. Fantastic. All right. And then Home Alone 2. Oh, yeah. I, want, I wanted to make this point, and then I'm going to go right into uh, Mark Reed's the wiki, and we can get sure. into the first Home Alone sure. movie. 
But I Home, Home Alone was one of those where it is a um, a victim of its own success because it made shit tons of money. It was wildly popular. It would be imitated constantly in the years to come. Macaul it makes Macaulay Culkin a star. Doing this is kind of his Bartman. It is all of those things. And because then you can't just have a nice, successful thing and leave it the fuck alone and go on to tell other stories. You have to beat things to death because everyone who makes decisions in Hollywood has lizard brain. We got Home Alone too. And, well, and what happened? What what happened was Home Alone was lightning in a bottle, mm -hmm. and no one understood. And we're we're going to outline everything that makes yeah. it truly unique. Don't get me wrong, but at the time, nobody really understood the intricacies of the formula. They were yeah. trying to make Walter White's crystal blue meth, crystal blue meth. And only Walter, or in this case, probably, you know, Chris Columbus and John Hughes, had any idea just which crucial steps they purposely left out of the recipe so that nobody else could quite get it right. Yeah. And Home Alone 2 is funny. We'll talk about it in detail. But I, I will tell you that the story of the Home Alone movies <clears throat> is something that I said about Tim Burton when Dory and I talked about uh, Sleepy Hollow and... Something I've been saying a lot on Damn You Hollywood lately. Somebody's going to go back and listen to all my podcasts. And they're going to be like, he said this one thing a lot. No, it wasn't a dick joke, but that too. Yeah, it was also this. It was also this. Um, they get attached. Hollywood, Hollywood executives get attached to an idea that worked. And they just want to do that idea. It's funny. I just listened to myself and Stuart talk about um, the WrestleManias 14, 15, and 16. And we were talking about the light WWF's light heavyweight division. And I said, mm -hmm. WWF doing a light heavyweight division was them not understanding why WCW's <clears throat> cruiserweight division worked. And, uh, and doing a pale oh, imitation no, of did. it. No. Right. And so with Home Alone, sort of the low-hanging lizard brain uh, interpretation of Home Alone is, isn't it funny to watch a kid abuse adults? Let's just keep doing, let's just keep doing movies where people break into a home and a kid abuses them. And it'll just keep being funny. And that's really not it. It's, it's, it's like, yes, that's what happens in this movie. And yes, people laugh at that. But there's more going on in these movies. That's why we're talking about them than just yeah. the physical comedy yeah. aspect. But that's what these movies devolve into. An excuse for adults to break into a house and a kid abuses them. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, wow, lobster. Like, mm -hmm. ugh. You know, that is imitation lobster at best. But um, Home Alone. It's McDonald's lobster roll is what it is. Uh, Home Alone is a series of American <laughs> Christmas family comedy films originally created by John Hughes. John Hughes, famous for The Breakfast Club. And directed by Chris mm. Columbus, direct uh, famous for comedies that idiots like. <laughs> um, he directed one and two. Raha Gosnell, I think, in like like directorial debut, directed number three. Rod Daniel number four, which we are not talking about. Peter Hewitt number five, and Dan Mazur number six, which me and my son reviewed when it came out. The film revolves around the adventures surrounding children who find themselves alone and faced with the challenges of defending their family's home from of uh, or themselves from invading bur burglars and criminals. The first three films, which we're going to talk about tonight, were theatrically released by former studio 20th Century Fox. While following the two made-for-television films that were produced by Fox Television Studios, aired on the Disney-owned ABC. Following the acquisition of 20th Century Fox, a sixth film in the franchise was produced 
the newly renamed 20th Century Studios for the Disney-owned streaming service. That was Home Sweet Home Alone, which I said myself and uh, Jonas reviewed when it came out. Um, so the first Home Alone, as I said before, uh, is a 1990 film directed by Chris Columbus and written by John Hughes. Um, it stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara. Macaulay Culkin plays Kevin McAllister, a boy who defends his suburban Chicago home from a home invasion by a pair of robbers after his family accidentally leaves him behind on their Christmas vacation to Paris. So real quick, and I'm not going to read the plot synopsis. It's not that complicated. But as a, <laughs> yes, future President Jonas. Thank you, Robert's brother. Um, <laughs> vote for my son, future overlord. Um, oh, yeah. So, so essentially, it's a joint family vacation between Kevin's family, who ha he has a number of siblings, and his uncle's family, who also have a number of children. And some would say, yeah, Kevin, I'm thinking about the pitch meeting for this, Kevin McAllister, bit of a bit of a child douchebag, but also his family is not nice to him. Uh, his siblings are not no. nice to him. His cousins are not nice to him. And he kind of retaliates. And it, it, it be it's one of those where, and I talked about this with you in American Beauty and some other stuff that we've talked about in the past year or two, where some filmmakers seem to just have a detest for upper middle middle class white families, like the, the like the portrait, like it's like the Marilyn Manson, like the portrait of an American family, and they just want to pour acid on it, and piss on it, They're like it's terrible. It's like why? <laughs> like most of us came up, John. In, like, Middle-class American white families. Like, why is this a horrible thing? John Hughes, not a fan. Not in the least. So um, John Hughes is going... not here for your affluenza. <laughs> so they're going on a trip to Paris. Um, Kevin gets into a fight with his cousins and brothers and such. So he's made to sleep in the attic. And he you know, tells his mother to go fuck off. And, and so they're like, all right, well, we'll see you in the morning. Um, and they all get on the bus. <clears> and they all go to the airport and it, it's not until they are on the plane headed to Europe that they suddenly realize, Hey, wait a minute, somebody's missing. Um, meanwhile, while this is happening, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are casing the neighborhood, figuring it's Christmas. People will go on vacation. We'll rob the houses while they're away and we'll do it in daylight. Cause even if they're not away, they're still at work. And these are all rich Chicago homes. So there's going to be plenty of shit for them to pawn. Um, the first half of the movie deals with Kevin just dealing with being alone. Sort of, there were things that he had missed out on the night before, and so he starts to do those things. Um, he starts to, you know, when you are an overprotected, sort of learned helpless child, um, and then suddenly you're given freedom, you're like, oh my God, I can do stuff for myself. And so he does. And so it's first he's going crazy, then he's responsible, and then he has to deal with, and then like the third act, he has to deal with. The home invasion, and that's and that is what the only thing anyone ever remembers about Home Alone is Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci trying to break into this house and you know and being thwarted by like a nine year old kid. Um, eventually, you know, meanwhile, the mother is working her ass off to get home, and she has a little mini arc in the movie about mm -hmm. maybe don't be shitty to your kid, and he won't be shitty to you, and you'll actually have a nice family. And she makes yeah. her way back, as does the rest of the family, and the, you know the, the, the police are called. They arrest the wet bandits. The family is reunited. And at the end of the movie, they all love each other. And they realize maybe being shitty to one another is not the way. It's not the way forward. This is not the way. Mm -hmm. So that is my quick. That is how you do a plot <laughs> synopsis. 
<laughs> um, Sean, uh, let's talk about Home Alone. Yeah. You first. Okay. Uh, well, which part do we want to talk about? First, let's kind of go back and forth. First, with some of the principal players of it. Uh, I'm going to say this real briefly. Chris Columbus has a way of taking brilliant fantasy and capturing it and capturing it vividly mm-hmm. and entertainingly and endearingly without making it seem like he's really trying very hard to mm-hmm. do it without seeming like he's like he's overcompensating. Um, I think of that with Home Alone and I think of that with the first two Harry Potter movies mm-hmm. to to give him his props for that huge for that for that huge stage in that franchise. Um in addition to that, we we've got a gorgeous score by John Williams, and you know, for as much as he can be rightfully lauded for the bombast and the pomp and the ballyhoo and the majesty of his compositions, he also has a way with subtlety and understanding the character of a movie or a scene and what's needed, mm-hmm. so that his music is always adding something to the moment, but without ever drowning it out without ever insisting upon it, upon itself. And that's something that we really trust me. You're not going to fully appreciate if you watch all three of these movies until you get to home alone three and he's not there. And you notice the difference. Um, You notice how much heart, how much character has gone from it. Um, John Hughes, I like to think that somewhere there is a trailer outtake where the voiceover guy just decides to just take a total piss take, have some fun, and just say, from the man who brought you Long Duck Dong. (laughs) (laughs) And that is forever how he will be known on this network. just Just to put it into perspective. Anyway, um... You don't have to acknowledge this that, one. but that was too good for me to leave in just the comments. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this, this, it kind of gets goes forgotten oftentimes that this is a John Hughes movie. It's not one of mm-hmm. the first ones we, we think. We think about Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, Ferris yeah. Bueller's Day Off, so on and so forth. Somehow, Home Alone never gets brought up as a John Hughes movie, despite it having all of the obvious earmarks. All we're really missing is a Molly Ringwald cameo. But I mean, that's, that's no, a good place to kind of come. No, she's there. No, not Molly Ringwald. It's what's her foot nuts. The other one from the Breakfast Club. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And that's Home Alone too. Fuck. Never mind. Sorry. Ali, she- Ali Sheedy? Yeah. 
I had to look that up. I saw her. And I'm like, okay. oh, they got an Ali Sheedy lookalike. Holy shit, that is Ali Sheedy. And apparently it was her final oh. on-screen performance in Home Alone 2. Aw. Yeah. Well, a good, a good segue to talking about the cast. Um, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily going to go totally top down because th mm. there's a little something to say about a lot of people. But Catherine O'Hara, I just have to say, seems like one of the most eminently likable people to be so disturbingly good at playing unlikable characters okay, so two things one i'm letting you kind of lead the conversation so which so occasionally i have to jump in and 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 i have to pepper what you're talking about with my own thoughts Catherine o'hara's character doesn't deserve uh, the treatment she gets in this movie like no that is a that no, is a mom trying to hold shit together it is hard to fucking referee your asshole children. Trust me, I got it. And the movie kind of paints her as this kind of shitty mom whose whose arc is to be less shitty by the end of it. And it's like, yeah, I don't <clears throat> like your interpretation of how moms and dads are, John Hughes and Chris Columbus. And and I and Catherine O'Hara, I think. She, unfortunately, everyone focuses on Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, and Macaulay Culkin, which means she doesn't get the credit she deserves as being the best actress oh. in this fucking movie. Because it's bet it's oh, easy God. to yell at a kid and slip on ice and hit your head. Yeah. It's easy to be a precocious nine-year-old whose power isn't autism. <laughs> More on that in a moment. You know, who's you know, it's e like they have the easy stuff to do in this movie. Kevin just has to be himself, and the other two guys just have to do physical comedy. Catherine <laughs> O'Hara has, has to actually have, like, she uh, she she has to have uh, depth to her. She um, sincerity, yeah, earnest, earnest Remorse. sincerity, gravitas, yeah, yeah. Like she and and it, and she totally does. She nails it, and nobody cares because she's not the kid doing this or the guy falling on his head. And it well, and the real and the really and the really tricky thing is she has to juxtapose all mm -hmm. of all of that rich, flavorful, meaty acting against the the charming slapstick of Kevin ping-ponging around this absurdly opulent home all by his lonesome. <laughs> right. And and, and it, it's tough to do that and find a way to make that work with the tone that everything else is setting and everything right. else that the movie is so clearly being sold on. And she is doing some very real damn acting. And, you know, we were familiar with the term queer baiting where for, for something that's very queerly, queerly. <laughs> it's very queerly. It certainly is, Ollie. <laughs> Oh, okay. Try, they're trying to pander to the LGBT community. And I, but the thing is, with a lot of these 90s films in particular, there's a lot of that with adult characters where you go back and look at them in later years through a different, more mature lens. Mm -hmm. And you can clearly see that they're trying to take what are actually rational responsible people with some layers and just set them up as being the kaiju tyrants of the kids of the kids I mean, world so I've, I've, I've decided that we are now going to this is kid baiting 
mm-hmm. is what it is. We had we've had queer baiting. Congratulations. Now to describe these movies, we now have kid baiting for characters like Mrs. M- like Mrs. McAllister. So I want to jump in here with this because I totally agree with you. And and more to the point, I think I talked about <laughs> um Maggie Gyllenhaal's quiet rage in the deuce where she's, you know, she has a couple of different scenes where in another world with more power, um, more agency, she goes full predator and just rips the guy's head off in front of her. But she can't because she's a dainty woman in the 70s and 80s in the porn industry. And if she wants to get ahead, she's going to have to do some unsavory things, and, you know, and accept a bit of humiliation. A lot of humiliation. Yeah. But what Maggie Gyllenhaal, the point of me bringing that up is what Maggie Gyllenhaal pulled off um, to her credit was quiet rage. And Catherine O'Hara's, you know, bits with Kevin, where she is clearly ready to beat the living <clears throat> shit out of him. Like, there comes a point where you're talking to your child where you, where they are, they have decided to abandon all reason. There is yes. no talking to them. Yes. The child is, the child has become an entitled communist dictator and there's no talking to him. And it's like, it's yeah. fine. That's part of child development. And it's like, I'm not holding it against the child, but as the adult <clears throat> who's trying to get things done and try to mete out justice and be fair, when you're dealing with somebody who's essentially going, I'm not gonna, I'm going to have a sandwich to anything you try to make them do. And you're just mm. like, I, I just want to kill you. I just want to take you and chuck you out a window. And yeah, she, and, and, and here's the thing. She loves her son. And this is what, what ag- kind of aggravates me because I feel like I feel like I'm getting that these people love their children, but like John Hughes doesn't want me to know that. <laughs> like John Hughes, like, <clears throat> no, they're all shitty. Like, no, like she clearly the way this was written, she clearly loves this child. She loves this family and she wishes they were better. And she sort and she has some self-doubt. This is in the subtext. She has some self-doubt about like herself as a mother, where she's just like did I do something to cause this? Like, like we have money, we have everything. Like, why are my children this way? Why is this family like half the time falling apart and attacking each other? Anyway, yeah. And then yeah. so and so it all goes to Plaid, and he he gets sent to his room, and she goes up to talk to him. Like, you know, sending my child to the attic like Rapunzel is probably not great for him. Let me go talk to him as his mother, and he <clears> basically <throat> tells him to suck a dick. <laughs> like he's just like fuck mm-hmm. you, mom. And that's when it and and then Catherine O'Hara standing there, stiff as a board, silently angry as all get out, telling Kevin, "Fine, sleep up here then, and we'll we'll try this again in the morning." You know she went down in there and bit a pillow and punched a mirror, and and that's the thing. Yeah, I got just I got that just from that one scene. Catherine O'Hara is too good for this movie. Yeah, but but at the same time, she also absolutely makes it. Let me put it to you this way: she is what keeps this movie. She's what keeps Home Alone from devolving into an early, unreleased beta for blank check. <laughs> That's fair. All right, what do you want to talk about next? Okay, well, next we got to talk. We 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 have to talk about Kevin. Um. Be a weird Home Alone. It's, it'd be a weird Home Alone podcast if we didn't. But I kind of not. I kind of don't want to. <laughs> well, the the thing is, it's it's a trope with a lot of truth to it. You know, mm-hmm. the the annoyance of clearly overdone child acting. Um, <laughs> but he's subtle. Kevin, he's, 
Macaulay Culkin is the Macaulay Culkin is the exception that yeah. proves the she he's one of a handful of child actors. Um, mm -hmm. Miko Hughes would be another one mm -hmm. that I that I think of. Uh, Haley Joel Osment would be yeah. still another one. There have been several. There are several other scattered ones. Those are just the first ones that come to my mind. He has a char the charming, authentic precociousness and brattiness of an eight-year-old, mm -hmm. but he kind of knows he knows how to not overmeasure the the entertaining worldliness. Something that Jonas and I um, talked about with Home Sweet Home Alone. There are times in that movie you're cheering for the you're cheering for the people robbing the house. That movie also has problems because the people robbing the house are actually like neighbors trying to get back a property <clears throat> the property they think is theirs and they're like on their ass and it's a whole mm. thing. Um, I don't, I don't really, yeah. you know, listen to, listen to me and Jonas talk about it. But mm. one of the things Jonas and I said was like, the kid sucks and we kind of, and we're rooting for the people breaking into the house. And yeah. what makes home alone work is at no point do you ever root against Kevin. No, Kevin's well, not and I, so and I... bad or not such an obnoxious shithead that you want the robbers to no. kill him. You know, no, no, and I, I, I think, I think back to the first two Harry Potter movies, and I think what a lot mm -hmm. of it comes down to is, yes, Macaulay. It, it feels so weird to say this, but I think it's so true. Um, was a generational child yeah. actor, like like for 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 that age, it's like him, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Drew Barrymore to another certain mm -hmm. to another certain extent too. Um, just. Again, they're the exceptions that prove uh, that prove the rule. John Hughes wrote uh, the guy who uh, the guy who didn't invent the teen sex comedy, but he fucked sure perfected it. Um, <laughs> happened to write an astoundingly uh, heartfelt and heart filled holiday comedy that showed that damn the guy kind of has a knack for writing kids too and mm -hmm. then when i think about again those first two harry potter movies and i think about all the phenomenal talent that columbus had to work with and he got superb performances out of all of them out of like the likes of emma watson rupert mm -hmm. grint um daniel uh, daniel radcliffe um and None of it ever felt contrived. None of it feels like a like a hackneyed like a hackneyed family movie script. Yeah, the the thing that makes Kevin uh, Macaulay Culkin work in Home Alone before you get to the main event, before you get to the home invasion, and I, and I want to make that point because mm -hmm. I just think about how like people in other parts of the world view America. Like if you were ever like if you were ever to pitch Home Alone to an to an actual alien or somebody from like Iran who's never yeah. experienced any kind of American culture, it's like it's it's Islam and stuff that's kind of fun over there and maybe soccer. That's it. That's all they've ever seen. And you're like, I have this movie idea. It's about these two guys trying to break into a house. Oh my god, is it an action movie? Is it a horror movie? No, it's a family comedy at Christmas time. Why? Why would you do that? Like that's a horrible thing to happen to a child. And you know what? And I and I don't. Think, <laughs> God, I I pray this is not going to be taken the wrong the mm -hmm. wrong way because I say I say this with every bit of sincere respect. I feel like you could not make this plot work with an authentically written Asian or Latino family. 
<laughs> you know what's funny you say that i was just like because you talked about like the house is so like opulent like this only works because they live in a mansion practically like <laughs> home alone 10 <laughs> in the bronx <laughs> home alone 10 in the <laughs> taking place in a one-bedroom project where nine from people the live from the people who brought you the wire coming this fall <laughs> simon's home alone <laughs> Omar coming. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> oh, God. What the fuck did I do? Get on the bolt, McNulty. It's Christmas time. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, my point being with bringing that up is <clears throat> that um, one of the things that makes it work and why Kevin and why Kevin uh, Macaulay Culkin's so good in this role is when you, he's first home, it's first he's trying to figure out what happened. Then he's suddenly realizing, oh my God, I have, I don't have siblings to compete with. I don't have parents to control me. I have this luxurious house that I can do anything I want in. And that's a, that, just that alone, just that alone is enough child fantasy. For people that, and, and I think it, I, I'm focusing a lot on children, but I think adults who take a moment to think back of when <laughs> I was that age, if I could be alone in my parents' house, you know, what would I do? Let me, and then there's a sudden realization that he has to now live here by himself, like a single man. And so, like, I think my favorite parts of the movie. Look, I'm not an I'm not crazy. The best parts of the movie is him fucking up is fucking up Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Like, don't get me wrong. But I think like in, in terms of like a thinking person that isn't just amused by jingling keys and pratfalls, my, my favorite parts of the movie is the sudden realization that he's not helpless. He can do for himself. And then he's so smart, he's so precocious that when people are questioning it, he's like, No, that's ridiculous. My parents are outside. What they wouldn't leave me home alone. What are you nuts? Like He's written smart, but not like so smart that you think he has autism as a superpower, but smart enough to realize that if he tells people what's really going on, they're going to take him away. And so like he has to sell it. Yeah. And it's great. Like Home Alone doesn't get the writing of Home Alone doesn't get the credit that it deserves because it's actually a very smartly oh. written movie because it very much asks the question. Like it, it, it <coughs> we used to talk about, like, does it feed, does it defeat the honest trailer or the cinema sins test? And that is asking along the way, why is this happening? Because if the answer is because the plot needs it to, take it out. You're writing it wrong. And that was something we talked about with Wonka on, on um, Tuesday, was there was a lot in that movie that happens because the plot needed it to happen. That's shitty writing. You can enjoy yeah. it. Don't get me wrong. And certainly I did. I like Wonka. But <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's not shitty. And Home Alone is not a yeah. shitty written movie. The problem with Home Alone in many ways, is that all anyone ever focuses on is the home invasion. That's all anyone cares about. But, like, there's a whole two-thirds of this movie that's really, really good, and the, and it's the part that people should pay attention to, but they won't because it's funnier and it's more engaging, and the whole reason you watch the movie is to watch Joe Pesci fall down. Well, but that's the thing, though, is I think that something that really gets undersold is the fact that if you were to just watch the marketing materials or if you were to just watch someone's sizzle reel or whatever video on youtube you would think that and and warning guys this next part is going to come laced with probably some professional wrestling references so just be ready for it um is just 
nothing is that Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci are really just there to do nothing but bump for Kevin McAllister. Oh, absolutely. Him, and put him over. That's fucking, that's, they're Barry Horowitz in the, yeah. in the fucking, oh, yeah. In the goon. But, <laughs> the but allow, but allow me to get, to kind of outline some real credit that I got to give them for craft. And let's start with Joe Pesci. I want you to remember that this came out within months of Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. I forget which I forget which one came first, but I actually looked it up. There's I think about maybe six months between this between Home Alone hitting theaters and Goodfellas, and that really speaks to just what an accomplished performer Joe Pesci is in terms of being able to be the backbone of a movie. Because let me point out something that I don't know if some of you who have seen this will have noticed. When we first see Joe, he's dressed as a cop. I, he's dressed as a cop. and But the way he's carrying himself, the way he's interacting with everyone else around the house, if you haven't seen the marketing materials, you don't have any reason to think that he's not a cop. Mm-hmm. That he's not just another well-meaning bystander on the side side of good in this movie. We don't really get that hint until we get that one tight shot of him smiling down at Kevin, and you see that, and you see that cartoonish embellished glint of his gold yeah. tooth, and then Kevin's reaction. But until then, Joe yeah. plays that so well that someone who's seeing this fresh wouldn't be the wiser that's fucking brilliant yeah, joe pesci plays <clears throat> he has a subtle menace because he's not over the top he's not joey bag of donuts no. he's he's a no. guy look he's there to rob houses he's not there to yeah. be a clown he's not a moron daniel stern's a moron and he gets and he kind of yeah. has homer simpson syndrome where he gets dumber as the movie goes on and then we get to when then we get to home alone 2 where he's practically mentally retarded but we'll talk about Daniel Stern in a moment. Joe Pesci, on the other hand, is not stupid. He's and oh, he's no. and that's the thing. It's like his menace comes from the fact that he's there to rob houses. That's all he's there to do. He's yeah. thought about this. He's got a plan. He figured out that this is a great place to do this and minimize risk. <clears throat> but that's what adds to his menace. He doesn't have to be evil. Oh. He doesn't have to be over the top. And he's not even playing, again, Goodfellas and Casino versus Home Alone. He's not even playing the same kind of crook. In Home Alone, he's playing sleaze. In something like Goodfellas, he is playing a homicidal loose (laughs) cannon who will go off on... I was thinking more about Casino, <laughs> you know, because I'm not as familiar with Goodfellas as I am yeah. Casino. But to your point, his character in Casino is fucking nuts, <laughs> violently nuts. And he make and he he makes them does. It's that perfect chemistry. The sleaze Stern is a bad person, and he's an idiot, and yet you still kind of. Can't feel a little bit 
a little bit for a little bit of like for it. I want to talk about Joe um, Pesci a little bit more. My my observations about Joe Pesci in this movie. And and again, okay. you don't what I was saying about like his menace comes from the fact that he's there to rob houses because you as an audience member know that for the most part robbing houses is bad. What makes Joe Pesci a bad guy is what he has chosen to do to this family. And when, you know, and and then it just becomes well the kid saw us. We don't we can't have him see us. He'll report us to the police if we, if we leave him alone. So now we got to get in there and get the kid. And that, and therein lies the challenge and the whole crux of this movie <clears throat> is we wanted to rob this house. The kid's in the house. Now we got to get the kid. And the kid set up traps and now we can't get to him. That's the whole thing. But if you didn't, if you're one of these people, if you're one of these sociopaths that went into this movie and doesn't think robbing houses is a bad thing, you don't think Joe Pesci's a bad guy. He's not doing anything else that's bad. Everything he does in this movie is predicated on he made a choice to do a bad thing, and then he's just following through on those choices in a very normal, calm, and rational, logical way, Include up to and including trying to kill the kid. Because why would you? Because you can't leave now. He's seen you. And so it's like, he's not doing anything, like, overtly evil. He's doing everything that you would do to do the one bad thing. But if you take that away, you just watch him perform and you watch him interact with other characters. He's not a bad guy. And I think that's kind of a brilliant way to do it because I, because I think the low hanging fruit, the dumb way of writing him is he's evil. Ah, I must steal the white people's jewels and television, which I've seen one too many times. And it makes me hate movies. And then here's Joe Pesci. Just like, I, my second wire, wire reference. It's your fault that I'm doing this for people who are like, oh my God, he, why does he talk about The Wire so much? Season two of The Wire, Omar. What, what do you do, uh, Mr. Mr. White or Mr. Little, whatever the fuck his last name. Oh, this is Mr. Little. He's on the stand for the for the uh, bird trial. It's like, I robs drug dealers. That's Joe Pesci. I rob houses. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's what I do. It, it's as simple as that. And that's kind of brilliant. But if we're talking about the cost of what they do, we gotta talk about the climac the climactic battle through the house. And <laughs> okay. here's something here's something to keep in mind. There's an art to physical comedy. Mm-hmm. There is a very fine balance where on one side you have Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern in Home Alone and SNL era Chevy Chase, where every, every bump, every every pratfall, kind of takes only as long as it as long as it needs to, but still enough that it has a very clear impact. Something you can mm-hmm. you can really feel through feel through the screen. A lot of professional wrestling. Um, a, a lot of a lot of the best bumps and the best matches have that same kind of kind of sense of of, of impact. Um, nothing feels like a Looney Tune or a Tex Avery cartoon. And on the other side, you have like kind of the incessant drawing out of the pratfall and the joke. Like Will Ferrell is arguably the worst about it. He somehow managed to top. Johnny Depp and Jim Carrey, who for years held held the crown, um, any anything like anything like that that doesn't know kind of kind of where the volume is just per, 
is just perfect. And what I yeah. love about a lot of these sequences is the action, the injuries. They have a real impact to them that feels that feels legitimate. And Pesci and Stern never sell anything so over the top that it kind of takes you out of just kind of wincing gleefully at what <laughs> you just at what you just witnessed. It's there long enough to make sure that you to make sure that you feel it. It's a masterclass in bumping, but then they're right back. They're right back to it. There, there. I just saw the honeysuckle rose signal. Um, yes, I. When I, I'm trying to not cough directly into my microphone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, I got you. I feel you. Um, but. That's what real. That's what really carries it for me. There's no. There's no moment of like curly in the curly in the Three Stooges. There is no. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, no it's just all. Do they hit Joe Pesci on the head and birds fly around his head? Yeah, a, a, exactly. And I think it's a testament that, like you, that like you said, there mm-hmm. there are whole medical analyses on YouTube. Several of them that you can find <laughs> that will outline just just. How severely Kevin must have maimed them. Uh, I, I think of the the nail through Daniel Stern's foot. Oh God! It oh, unnerves. It dude, unnerves me every time fucking... I have fallen asleep to Hellraiser. <coughs> the pain cans to the fucking head. Oh, like, you know. Oh, of course, the paint cans. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had to like hold a paint can, a full paint can, but taking one of those to the face will kill you. Like <laughs> with, with enough impact. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, but and but in the whole sequence again, there's mm-hmm. no wasted motion. It lasts as long as it needs to. It is it is the Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat of of these of these of these gauntlet sequences. Whereas I think Home Alone three was more like the Kenny Omega Kazuchika Okada. Well, congratulations, you took forty five minutes to have a fifteen minute match. Bravo. The other thing I want to I want to comment about this is Kevin's behavior during all of this, because he uh, comes across like a soldier from the movie fucking Platoon. He is there to defend the base. There's no uh, glee. there's barely any glee. You couldn't do it with no glee. He's not traumatized. He's not you know he's like oh, oh the helicopters you know you know he's not that. He is a child in in a ridiculous set of circumstances, but. He also knows the danger that he's in 
and he's trying to mm-hmm. and the thing of it is is that and this is also kind of brilliant writing this was set up through the whole movie that he doesn't really lose his shit all that much he kind of will like occasionally have a moment and then he goes all right i gotta i gotta figure this out yeah. and and he pulls the, it knowing together. they're coming Knowing they're coming for him, he's like, I have my traps. There's nothing more I can do here. And with each successive interaction he has with them, he's like, are you done? And he said, and he's trying to project bravery. Macaulay Culkin does a really good job of this. He's trying to project bravery, but beneath that veneer of bravery, there's the fear they're going to get him. The paint can won't hit them. You know, they won't land in the, the Legos or whatever. I can't even remember half the traps in this movie. But because um, I'm now I'm thinking more about the next one, which, God. We'll talk about it. Um, but there's that little bit of you're done yet? Are you, you have you had enough? Please say you've had enough. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't I don't I don't want to be kidnapped by Joe Pesci and, and, and made to live with Sharon Stone at the, the casino. I don't want this. I please leave me alone. You know, I there's a lot of that going on with him. Um, but because I never get anywhere close to him, he's never truly menaced um you know it never gets that far but like if you because i watched this because i've seen the movie i saw it with my son and then i rewatched it again for notes and i would watch kind of the camera focus on him because you're not really watching him when he's in the shot with the trap you're watching the trap because you want to see joe pesci take the bump oh of course so i so i spent a lot of time kind of watching kevin uh mccall culkin in the corner of the shot and there's very much the oh thank god that worked that's really that that's a credit to him as an actor that he knows the camera's still on him and maybe he's not the focus, he's not center frame, but he knows the camera's on him and who wouldn't react that way? And like I said, I, I kind of like joke that he's like a soldier from platoon. He's just like, yeah. All right, I gotta go to the next thing. I gotta I, I gotta keep going until this is over. And yeah. um when, you know, and, when I think a nuance like that, I think it's the I think that's the difference between mm-hmm. Kids who try a little acting and find they genuinely love it mm-hmm. and already have a passion for it, and those that are just kind of being shoved practically at gunpoint in front of the camera by, well, let's face it, probably stage parents. One thing, one thing I wanted to add real quick, and then I think we can, I think we're done with Home Alone. Yes. Um, what makes Kevin work and <laughs> why you cheer for him is that he's not gleeful when it's happening, like. No. They're doing a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. They're doing a bad thing. He knows that. You as the audience know that. And you want him to live through this. You know, the, you want him to live through the purge, um, which is fine. But he's yeah. not like merrily running around the house. Ha- you know, I, I was thinking of what you were talking about. This is really cartoon violence. And like, I, I, I see your point of view. But I was thinking about like, because I said it is cartoon violence. And then I was thinking about like Bugs Bunny. Pushing the piano down the stairs. I think it's the Yosemite Sam. And the way they animated that scene, Bugs Bunny has this gleeful, psychotic smile. Like, big, psychotic, toothy smile as he's shoving the piano down the stairs. And Sam is running for his life as he's about to get flattened by this thing. Bugs Bunny is way too happy to be trying to murder, be, trying to be murdering Yosemite Sam. And he only gets away with it because it's a cartoon fucking rabbit. If Kevin is all too happy to murder two human men, I don't think this movie works as well. And the movie is careful enough to not make him that gleeful. He's thankful it worked and that he can, and that he gets another five minutes to live before these two monsters kidnap him and kill him. But he's not like, yay, murder. 
because if he's doing yay murder, he, he just wants it to be done. Apart. Yeah, like he said, like, are you yeah. done yet? Can we? Can, can, he's like Newt from Aliens. They're dead, all right. Can we go now? Like, all right, Jesus. <laughs> so that's Home Alone. Um, I love this movie. I, yep. I love it for its, mm-hmm. you know, I. You wouldn't think Home Alone has such good movie craft because no one sits and thinks about it like people doing a podcast deconstructed things do. But we are people on a podcast who deconstruct movies, and so I have thought about it, and I realized Home Alone's kind of brilliant. Which brings us to Home Alone fucking 2, which is an exercise (laughs) in too much of a good thing ruins the whole thing. Um, Home (coughs) Alone... Oh, by the way, some, some demographic stuff here. Um, the first Home Alone was made on a paltry budget of $18 million. It made almost $500 million, which is why they tripped over their own dick making a second one. Um, real quick, before I move on. Uh, it's got a 66 on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.9 out of 10. Um, Metacritic, it has a weighted average of 63 out of 100. It's generally favorable. And CinemaScore gives it an A. Gave it an A on an A-plus to F-scale. So there you have that. Home Alone 2. Lost in New York is 1992. Movie directed <clears throat> by Chris Columbus. Written by John, written produced by John Hughes. This is the last collaboration in the series. The two of them. It's a 1990 film. Uh, sorry, it's a sequel to the 1990 film. Um, it brings back Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, um, uh, Catherine O'Hara. It brings on Tim Curry, Brenda Fricker, um, and uh, what's this nuts from Saturday Night Live? Help me, Sean. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. You can do it. Yep. Uh, the plot of this thing is it's a year or so later, and this time they're going to go to the family. They're trying another family trip because uh, the first one wasn't a disaster enough. Uh, and they're going to go to Florida. I think it's Miami for Christmas because, you know, we want, you know, get out of the Chicago snow. Um. This time around, Kevin makes the bus. This time, I mean, the night before is also shitty. Kevin is in a choir performance. His brother's fucking with him. He turns around. He's like, stop fucking with me and shoves him off the ramp. But of course, because Kevin is the living embodiment of chaos and destruction, he can't just shove a kid and that'd be the end of it. He has to shove a kid, cause a domino effect that, that sends the missiles into fucking space and blows up Moscow. No one understood how it happened. He just shoved a kid. But that's what happens. It's Kevin McAllister. Anyway, um, he shoves the kid. The kid, he shoves his brother. His brother kind of like falls off the off the ramp. Every other kid around him falls down. They knock over everything. It's just he causes destruction. They go home and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And the brother, having learned that being a you know, being a calm sociopath is much better than being a violent sociopath. So he's just like, I apologize. I don't know what came over me, blah, blah, blah. And Kevin is looking around like, you're all fucking morons. How do you believe this? He's clearly (laughs) lying, you pieces of shit. And they're like, Kevin, how do you not completely buy his utterly insincere apology? What's wrong with you? You're clearly the one that's wrong here. And then it's the same beat from the first movie because no one's learned anything. It's Kevin, why do you have to act like a shithead? And he was like, why are you all shitty people? I'm fucking nine. The rest of you should have a, have some sense of what's happening here. And they're like, no, you're clearly just an asshole. Fine, whatever. Here we go again. They get up the next morning. This time Kevin makes the bus. This time Kevin makes it to the airport. And here we see our first. <clears throat> if we don't do this, we have no movie. Kevin's dad has his 
passport, his wallet, money, this treasure of the Sierra Madre, a falcon, everything you might possibly need in an envelope that's open for Kevin to look into. Mm-hmm. And so he does, and he takes the envelope because he's also a thief. And then, you know, and then Kevin's got a video camera. That's his new thing is that he's a voyeur. And he's, you know, he's, he's filming his uncle in the shower. It's like, this will be up on my OnlyFans soon. Um, it's a whole thing. So he's running. So everyone's running through the airport. And uh, Kevin's like, but my batteries from my video recorder so I can be a pervert. And the father's like, there's no time. We're, we, we can't ever get anywhere on time. So they are all running to this fucking airplane. And Kevin, mid-run, stops. Because if he doesn't, the movie won't happen. And he puts the batteries in the thing. And because it's a crowded airport at Christmas time, doesn't see doesn't see his father, but he thinks he sees his father. So he follows what he thinks is his father, and then it turns out, hey, it's a plane to New York. So Kevin is on the plane, flies to New York. Um, the, the rest of the family goes to Miami, and it isn't until they get to Miami they realize they don't have Kevin. And so now the whole subplot is the mom now has to get to, now they have to figure out where the hell he went, then get there. Meanwhile, Kevin um, has his dad's money, and his dad, of course, is, you know, Scrooge McDuck. So he's got plenty, and he checks into the Plaza Hotel, and Sean, in 50 words or less, why did they get to use the Plaza Hotel? Because the only ki- the only set of conditions that uh, Toupe Fiasco would accept his name is would Donald be Trump. they would only... They would, I'll call him whatever the fuck I want to call him. Um, okay, but some people might not have known that that's what you were calling him. So Donald Trump, or as you like to call him. The Phantom Menace. Thank you. Um, um, the only condition set of conditions he would accept is you can only use my hotel if I can be in the movie. And I have read accounts from cast and crew who have talked about just how many times he fucked up one simple line. <laughs> just, just, just could, just couldn't, get, just couldn't get so, something, something like go straight into the left or straight into the, into the right or just down that way. Something like that. that was his line. That's like the kind <laughs> of shit they would give contest winners where they were putting, where they were putting up a role in a movie. Like I think that was the line they gave the extra in Scream Two that won a contest on MTV. <laughs> On MTV, and your very stable genius couldn't <laughs> nail that one. <laughs> couldn't nail telling someone basically where the bathroom is. I don't want to get off on a rant, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, and and I don't even want you to respond to this. Just smile and laugh, monkey. But I have to tell you, um, and I have to just do a little bit of setup here. In the quest, in the desire for one political party or another to maintain control. They will put up any symbol of America's psychosis they can find willing, stupid enough to take the job. And, you know, when the Republicans were so desperate to find an avatar that they could put out front for for very angry white people, mostly men, to vote for, they found him in the guy going, I'm going to build a wall to keep the Mexicans out. And it's fine. It worked once. You know, he was defeated. I mean, granted, he was defeated by a plague. But still, it worked the first time like gangbusters. And I bring that up to say only this, that in the quest to find an avatar for the Republicans to, you know, Trojan horse for the Republicans to sneak back into office and maintain control, 
they made a deal with the devil that only after they only afterwards they found out was so wildly the wrong thing to do with the wrong guy that even Ann Coulter, Ann Coulter, okay, conservative blonde Nazi Elvira, Ann Coulter said apologetically, we had no idea how profoundly stupid he really was. <laughs> Ann Coulter said that shit, yo. <laughs> So, yes, I'm not surprised he couldn't get the line, go that way, straight. <laughs> Anywho, so Kevin checks into uh, Trump's castle, <laughs> the Plaza Hotel, and he comes up with a cockamamie story for why he's allowed to do so. And he runs afoul of the concierge, who is Tim Curry, poor Tim Curry. Um, and so the movie, much like the first one, is a lot of Kevin just getting himself established and doing New York stuff. You know, he's ordering thousands of dollars worth of room service. It's all great. Um, at the same time, the wet bandits who were arrested in Chicago somehow escape prison and end up in New York. And just just happenstance, because what better place to what better place to try to find places to rob than uptown New York, which is where Kevin is. So they run into Kevin and they were just like, I know we have this plan to steal and get back on our feet, but let's first murder the child that sent us to prison. That seems like a good use of our time. And so they do. Um, along the way, Kevin goes into a toy store because he's a child. He meets the he meets the guy that runs the toy store, and the, and the guy says, and we take all of our monies, and we give it to sick children, and we do all these other wonderful things, and we are just the most purest, most bestest good thing ever. And Kevin goes, you're right, you are. That's amazing. And then the and then the uh, wet bandits who are now the sticky bandits say, "Well, we're going to rob that toy store." And Kevin goes, "I know what I must do." So, um, in a plot thread from the previous movie, they talked about a uncle who lives in New York, still lives in New York, but they've gone away because they're remodeling their uh, their, their brownstone. So it's the perfect place to set up an ambush. So Kevin lures the sticky bandits to a in the middle of a to a brownstone in the middle of its renovation where he has set more violent I wouldn't say elaborate but more violent traps in this hostile slash saw looking hellhole where he will where he will keep them busy long enough for the cops to show up so they the beatings will continue until the loud intrudes <laughs> yeah um Along around along the way, the concierge doesn't buy Kevin's line of bullshit. And so it's a lot of trying to catch Kevin in the act and prove that he's a thief. And eventually they do because they run the credit card and it turns out it's stolen. They're like, oh, well, the whole now house of cards falls down. There's some really stupid <laughs> things that Kevin does to get himself out of trouble with the concierge, like play parts from a movie that sound like it could be dialogue from an angry father. And because everyone that works in this hotel is also mentally retarded, they believe it. They don't bother to check. Um, and so eventually, uh, Kevin's mom and the whole family figure out that he's in New York. They head to New York to find him. Um, and they all kind of converge on this brownstone. First, the, the sticky band show up. Kevin throws bricks at them. <laughs> like, it's funny. I was, I was watching, I think... Uh, 
a pitch meeting for Home Alone too. And he was like, "Oh, are the traps more elaborate?" No, he just straight up throws bricks at him now. Um, from the top of the building, they get they get into the place, and it's it's again, it's it's they should have died eighty seven times in this entire process. Like they they would have been dismembered. You know, again, uh, what's his face? Jigsaw would have been proud. Um, this just it's just an extended scene of traps. This it does it goes nowhere. It does nothing. And if you like, if you like comedic versions of guys being mutilated, you'll love Home Alone too. <laughs> if, if if Saw's a little too dark, you like your you like your torture porn with some levity. Home Alone Two's for you. Um, eventually the cops show up. Eventually they get arrested after being nearly killed. Eventually Kevin's mom finds him. Eventually they figure out that eventually the, the, the toy, the money goes back to the toy shop and they get a big reward and they were able to have Christmas at the plaza and it's all wonderful. And then there's a giant scream at the end as Kevin's father figures out that he spent a thousand dollars on room service. Ah! Home alone too. <clears throat> Sean, well, I didn't really, I don't think we're going to need to talk about this one quite as much because quite frankly, this movie spends a lot of time just, it's the Austin Powers thing. It spends so much of its runtime just rehashing and trying to microwave some of the best bits from the fir first movie. You mentioned the thing with uh, using the VHS dialogue to, to scare somebody off. That was a big one from the first one. Yep. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Kevin and his cheese pizza. Even Kevin and his chaotic little little uh, brawl. We slept in again. We did it again. So on, so forth. Yeah. Fuck me sideways. Um, it has none of the heart this time. None. Because, because you don't get to see kind of the contrast of the maturations and the... And the remorse, you know, it, it, Kevin is now just a MacGuffin. That's that's all he really is. He really didn't learn anything from the first movie. <laughs> he doesn't feel like he learned anything from this movie, except for the fact that, you know, in terms of trap sequences, yeah, you mentioned Kevin's become more sophisticated um, between move over the course of the past 12 months. Um, the first movie felt like the house gauntlet in the first Nightmare on Elm Street that Nancy leads Freddy through. <laughs> this one, you're talking about him throwing groups. Now it just feels like the Battle of Helm's Deep. It feels, <laughs> it feels, like, it feels like he's just fucking sniping all the time. We're out of well, warriors. Arm the children. I don't know what to fucking tell you. This fucking orc um, coming, man. I don't know where Gandalf is. It just it's it's good. It gets <laughs> a little, it gets a little more. About. <laughs> it gets a little more star power, you know. Mother Nature's other favorite little oopsie, Rob Schneider, gets to just be Rob Schneider for a little while. Um, Tim Curry, fuck me. When you need when you need a, a cannot a conniving wily concierge and you get the butler from fucking clue well that's the silver tuna marv that's the silver I tuna the, i wish he was the <laughs> butler from i wish he was the butler from clue oh god that would have been glorious um oh we we we've even got you know the 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 initially haunting frightening wizened old soul that 
that Kevin communes with, usually in some kind of grand opulent setting where it's somehow just the two of them being able to just uh, to just talk and this that's all it, that's all it really is I, I can't really call it bad because it is fun it does have its moments uh, again kudos to it's to tim it's like curry the, it's like the mockbuster um, or porn version of the first movie Yes, it's entertaining. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's got. It doesn't have the depth of the first. one. We spent almost an hour talking about the first one because there was a lot to talk about, and I think, and I don't think it gets. The, I don't think Home Alone gets the credit that it that it deserves. So it's worth talking about for an hour. I'm done talking oh, about sure, Home Alone too. It's not worth talking about. No, because honestly, it, it really isn't. It, honestly, talking about how stupid Donald Trump is is the best part of watching. The best part of talking about Home Alone too, <laughs> because I got to tell the Ann Coulter story. I mean, um, the, when, the, the when first, you've lost the, the Ann first, culture, you've lost. Period. If you're the, a conservative, the, the, the first, the first movie at least has scenes and moments that that became yeah. mimetic over over time. Um, th things that, especially like I said, if you were a kid my age and you saw it in theaters, you'll never forget. Um, whereas on the other hand, yeah, literally the only thing anybody talks about when it comes to Home Alone two is there's nothing else that stands out except that dipshit was in the movie for a few seconds of screen of screen time. And this clock's in at two hours. Ooh. Honestly, it needed to be a tight 90 minutes. And like not because like I was bored or anything. Oh, yeah. If you're not look, if you're not gonna put the heart and soul of the first one in your second one and you're just gonna do the porn version where it's just like, look, traps, look, Kevin acting like a, you know, like a rich kid in a hotel. Look, funny funny hotel stuff. Look, Catherine O'Hara is running through yet another airport. Look, look, look. Yes, yes, Robert's brother. More dinosaurs. Then please. I, I will movie. say. Please keep your movie to ninety I, minutes. I I do have a question about this, and perhaps as a New Yorker yourself, you could maybe you could maybe shed some light on this for me. Sure. What the fuck was it with this decade and just constantly portraying New York as pretty much Mordor? <laughs> I don't well hang it. on hang on so the so and I and I might not have my years all lined up here but um whether or not you believe the Giuliani broken windows thing or you believe the freakonomics thing of not a lot of potentially criminal people were born because of the because of abortion whichever version of the story you believe by the time we get to the 90s crime drops in New York for one reason or another. Plus, and the Deuce actually talked about this, starting in like the 70s and 80s, there was a concerted effort to push all of the crime out of Midtown Manhattan, clean it up, you know, put some new fresh paint on it and say, tourism. And I know that because I lived it. Uh, because I didn't go into the city in the 70s. I was born in the 70s. I was born in 1976, so it wasn't like young Mark at, in 1981 is fucking traipsing down mid, you know, 7th Avenue go looking for hookers years later. But not not when I was five, okay? Not when I was four. Um, so, when I start going into the city, I'm a 10th grader. So it's 1992, I'm 15 or 16 years old, and I'm going into Midtown or uh, Uptown to go see heavy metal shows at like the Roseland Ballroom and stuff. And let me tell you, from Penn Station, which is right smack in the middle of Midtown, 
to Uptown, which is when you start to get into like the 50s and 60th streets, it's cleaned up nice. It's, it's, it, you know, it is very well. I mean, there are elements, but there's going to be elements in any city. But like from Midtown to Uptown, you can clearly see the presence of like gentrification and, um, you know, cleaning up for tourism, you know, big, bright, big, bright lights, big stores, you know, to bring tourists in. Like they drew a circle around a part of Manhattan that was like, come here and spend money. And people did. And I walked through it. I lived it. I was also a social worker in New York City. I went into the poor parts of the Bronx in Brooklyn and was told, don't come back at nighttime, Whitey, you'll die. <laughs> you know, like, like you're fine in the daytime. The vampires are sleeping. Go, go steal children or whatever it is you do, Whitey. But, you know, when the sun goes down, you best be back on Long Island. Um, like, I was there. I, I saw it. So it's not like they, it, it's not like all of New York was Mordor. Some mm. part, most of it. Most of it was Mordor. But there were these really, there were these really pristine areas that they purposely kept all the orcs out. Okay. Um, okay. I, 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 I had to ask because yeah. I just... I, I didn't mean any disrespect. It just, and I've never, I've never even been to New York, so I wouldn't know. So, there are parts of Brooklyn now that they've they've New Yorkified too. Like there are really there are really nice parts of Brooklyn, and then there's places that I had to work, like the Pink Houses, you know, where if you want, Sean, we can buy drugs and possibly get into gang violence. But um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the only thing I'm going to say Home about three. Home Alone Three. The only thing I'm going to say about Home Alone 2, just so we can transition into Home Alone 3, is True. that if you got nothing out of Home Alone, but you enjoyed the Pratt Falls, then you'll like Home Alone 2 because it's more of the same shit, just amped up a notch. However, it's not a well-written movie. It's held up by performances. Everyone's still giving good... Oh, Daniel Stern, like, got, again, it's, it's the Homer Simpson syndrome. As things progress, he gets dumber. Like, mm -hmm. there, there comes a point where... I'm kind of hoping one of the traps kills Daniel Stern because he's too stupid to live. Like it's that bad. But Joe, you know, and and Joe, but Joe Pesci maintains a level of, you know, menace, and he doesn't get too cartoony, you know, over time. It's mm. he gets kind of fed up with Kevin awfully quickly, but I guess prison will do that to you. Um, Kevin is Kevin. You know, Macaulay Culkin gives the same fucking performance he did in the first movie. Doesn't don't give him enough to work with. So that's Home Alone mm. two. Home Alone three. Home Alone 3 makes me want to dick slap people in Hollywood. It really does. And like there are like it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not the clearly not the best movie, but it is an example of you should have stopped at 2 once you didn't once the kid was too old. Stop doing these movies. Do something else. Um this is ridiculous. You're actually you're actually kind of onto something there. Yeah, because initially there was there were plans right off the bat for this to be a trilogy and for part three to be filmed kind of butting right up against part two. It was, it was kind of like it was kind of like the early test run for what the Matrix and Pirates of the Caribbean and the Hunger Games would do. Mm -hmm. But first that fell through. And then they decided to revisit the idea of a third movie a number of years later with an aged up, appropriately teenage Macaulay Culkin. That didn't end up happening because Macaulay had kind of burned out and decided to take a break from acting entirely. And so he wasn't down to he wasn't down to do it. 
And then kind of a ways removed from that, instead of just scrapping the whole idea, because you can't get all of the right organs of the body functioning together. Instead, you go ahead and do this where there's no John Williams this time. There's no Chris Columbus, no Macaulay Culkin, no Catherine O'Hara, no Daniel Stern, no Joe Pesci. Pretty much the only one you've got back is you've got John Hughes back to write and produce. And so you decide to just kind of reboot everything with totally new characters and a totally new feel. And it wasn't as bad as I had kind of been led to believe it was, but it was spitting distance of that. I kind of feel sorry for anyone who came into this expecting a Home Alone movie. Okay. So real quick, Home Alone 2 on a budget of 28 million made less than the first one. It made 359, but still wildly successful. And that's how we got to where we got to. Yeah. Uh, this one on a budget of $32 million made almost 80 million. Um, it comes out in uh, 1997. It's 102 minutes too long. <laughs> and um, so it stars Alex D. Linz, um, who I checked his IMDb. He's not in much. And Haviland Morris. Uh, it's a standalone sequel to Home Alone 2. Boy, those words barely mean what they're supposed to mean in that sentence. It follows Alex Pruitt, an eight-year-old boy who defends his home from dangerous band of international criminals working for a terrorist organization. It is the third... Okay, I don't need to read the rest of this. Um, it was met with mixed reviews with critics praising Lynn's performance but criticizing the film's departure from the previous installments, including its themes and cast. Yeah. So the basic premise of this movie is that there's a chip for weapons of mass destruction that gets smuggled into the United States via a um, remote control car. They accidentally lose the car in a, <coughs> in a lookalike bag carried by an old lady who only drove her car on Sundays. And she flies home with the car to Chicago. And through the magic of 1997 tech, spy technology, they're able to more or less figure out what neighborhood this thing is in, but they don't know which house. So a bulk of the movie is these four terrorists trying to figure out which house this chip is in and get the car. And that's their way of, of upping the ante, but approximating Joe Pesci casing houses to rob in the first one. Um, It's around Christmas time, but, and I'm going to take a, yelling at certain people I podcast with these days because they can be a little too tangential and it's too hard to follow the conversation and I think it's actually disrespectful to the person talking when they do it. But I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here because this one actually relates and it makes fucking sense. Um, <laughs> there's a conversation that my son and I and my daughter and I were having the other day when we came out of Wonka and it was, what's a Christmas movie? Watch just a movie that takes place at Christmas and what's the difference? You know, what's a Halloween movie and what's a movie that just takes place around Halloween? What's, you know, and what's a horror movie? What are the differences? And we were having a pretty in-depth discussion or the kind of in-depth discussion you can have with a 13 and a 10-year-old about what constitutes holiday theme movie and just a movie taking place during a holiday. Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Um, when you think about what Christmas is, but the spirit of family, togetherness, giving, uh, being, you know, a man being good to man. Those are all things that go along with Christmas. Those are all things that are in that movie. Home Alone 3 takes place at Christmas time, but none of the themes of Christmas are in the fucking movie. It's not a Christmas movie. 
Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Home Alone 3 is just a movie that takes place around Christmas time. Because, again, we have to do everything we did in the first movie. That being said, um, this kid is not home alone because it's the Christmas holiday and his family is going on a Christmas vacation and he got left behind. He's home because he's got the he's got chicken pox. And his family has money and jobs and they have to go to work, see, to make the spaghetti. So he gets home left home alone during a particular during the one week this group of criminals is casing houses to figure out where their remote control car is that has the chip for the mass for weapons of mass destruction. If I was in the room when they were writing this movie, I might have committed a felony. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. And so it's the best part of this movie are the four people playing the, playing the criminals. There's some funny interactions with them. And yes, by the time we get to the traps, well, there's there's definitely not the lead, but not in, in somewhat the woman, but the the other two henchmen, the one that's like really like John Cena robotic, and then the the long haired guy, they're funny, at least in my opinion. When we finally get to the home invasion and they are trying to get into this house to get this kid in his car, some of the shit he does to them is funny, but it's funny again in that like you were saying before in that cartoon violence text everything of watching people get hurt is funny which try explaining that to foreigners and aliens and it, it's hard to explain this is you know star trek dealt with that you know it's it's like oh it's funny when a pratfall happens data oh okay let me shove you into the ocean no that's not funny data um so that being said um again they are dealing with this kid long enough for the cops to show up a bunch of other contrivances happen to prove that they are, in fact, who they are, and they are, in fact, breaking the law. So they're arrested, and the kid is the, the kid tried to warn the cops this was happening twice, and twice he was made out to be a liar. So the big arc that he goes on is he's not as bad a kid as he's made out to be. Home Alone 3. Sean? You know... Again, this doesn't feel like a Home Alone movie. Number one, the kid is fleetingly Home Alone. <laughs> there's, there's very yeah, he's Home Alone <laughs> like his mom went to get groceries and come back in an hour. Yeah, any any actual tension is is just absolutely minimal. Mm -hmm. um, you don't you don't have a build to a confrontation. Hang on one second. Scarlett Johansson's in this movie, and that was about the only detail of this movie that was worth talking about when I was thinking about this movie. Was oh my god, the young it. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that's that's about all. But yeah. you know, you don't have a build over the course of the movie to one to one confrontation that you've been anticipating for more than an hour, for the entirety of the previous two and a half acts. Instead, and this is a surprising craft discussion that I didn't expect to have, instead what you have is you just kind of have two hours of the, of the two sides constantly colliding to the point where when it gets to the final gauntlet sequence, which takes damn near 30 clitting minutes, good <laughs> God, to get to. I 
I'm ne I never again want to hear another fucking word about how Return of the King never ends. I'll show you something that just won't end. <laughs> so, there is a, there is a it, trap in this it, movie where they literally blow a guy. Well, they do it in the second one, too. Daniel Stark blows himself up. And they do you know, cartoon you, smoke. And then they do it with you, this guy, too, where he blows his ass off. You, you keep the baby face and the heel apart. You build it up so you keep investing in wanting to see the heel get theirs and to see the baby face come out on come out on top and right off in into the sunset. This is this is more like a hot shot at attitude era feud where there's no build to it. You just kind of see the same see variations on the same match for about four or five weeks straight between between the same two guys on heat. <laughs> uh, usually between stacker two ads. Wow. That is a dated so, pal. So, you know, we, we don't have, I disagree. I don't think we have bad guys with the charm necessarily of Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci of Harry and Marv, you know, two guys you can actually invest something in as a re okay. as a consequence of their personalities here we just have the four fucking most underwhelming ring rates in mordor <laughs> just going from house to house looking for the fucking precious and somehow just <laughs> differently outwitted every time even when it comes to the pratfalls you know there was a reason i brought up joe pesci and daniel stern and the the brilliance of their physical comedy in the first movie and the continued brilliance in the second movie and that's because it's not here in this one because here mm -hmm. we're practically going full jim carrey where the Pratt falls just stretch out and they're cart they're so cartoonish and so and so loud and so sustained that you never really feel any impact from anything that even while you're laughing a little part of you is wincing <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous that it takes you out of it it's the difference between watching the 30 minute ricochet and will osprey stunt show versus watching bret hart and steve austin at rest at wrestlemania in a in a, br in a brutal match that i didn't i wasn't sure either guy had in them you know it's, it's the idea that less is more, and it's completely forgotten here. I can't really say anything bad about the kid playing Alex Pruitt. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Again, he's a solid, he's a, what you would call a solid child actor. I think the only other thing mm -hmm. I remember seeing him in was a romantic comedy that maybe two or three people probably remember called One Fine Day with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, that's great. By the way, the version yeah. of One Fine Day in that movie, the song is absolutely fantastic. Oh, by Natalie Merchant? Oh, preach. Yeah. But he's 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 fine. I can't hate the character of the character of the mom. She's again just being a fairly yeah. rational a fairly rational parent. She doesn't even stay mad at the kid for that long. Yeah. Um the, the the two siblings are just kind of your stereotypical cut and paste scuzzy little shits from any Disney Channel movie that probably came out around the same around the same time. Can I tell you? I'm watching Scarlett Johansson with this thing, and all I can think is, "Ha ha! You're gonna fall off a cliff." <laughs> but, but no, it's it, it, it's not a home it's not a Home Alone movie. Anybody who watches this thinking that's what they're getting instead is gonna get treated to. On an all new Jake and the Jake and the Fat Man, 
An eight-year-old so, child is caught in a deadly game of cat and mouse with four bumbling dumb fucks. Followed you know what this comes across dumbass. as? And, and again, they're going to do this anyway, but this is like... They, <laughs> they, put, they push this thing in theaters, but this absolutely feels like Disney would make Aladdin or The Little Mermaid or Cinderella. Mm. And then... Yeah. Because they had, because they at one point had a thriving vi- uh, home video department, would make uh, straight to video sequels, and it would they were garbage for the most part. That's what this oh, felt yeah. like. This this felt like the straight to video Disney sequel to a beloved classic original. And Isn't that a theatrical release? Can you believe that? That's what I'm saying. Like I I when I checked because I know we we pitched this idea. And we were like, we'll just do the first three because I didn't want to do I didn't want to do eighty seven movies, um, mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, I, I what's my other reasoning for just doing the first three? Oh, they were all theatrical release. And as I'm watching this, like, I'm like, what maniac thought this was a good idea to put in theaters? Like this screams straight to video. But yeah, Home Alone three. I, honestly, we could have done this show because sometimes with Long Road to Ruin, we just do two movies. Uh, because that's all there is in the series. Like I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna invent a third movie just to keep it three at a time. But mm. it, but as I think back, like I wanted to do all three theatrical ones as, as part of the the theme of the show. But honestly, all mm. you need to all you need to talk about and to understand why the why the the franchise starts out beloved and then goes into the ditch is the first two. Because everything else after that is just Liz's brain, and it's almost not worth talking about. So, you know, Home Alone—they're still making these movies, like I said. <coughs> you know, and you know, during the uh, the height of the streaming wars, they put a they put a Home Alone movie on Disney that went straight to Disney Plus. And then Jonas and I said much the same thing about that one that we just said about Home Alone Three. Um, they they're inventing reasons to create a they, they create a shitty kid. They create a, an artificial reason for two people to break into the home, and then it's just about watching the two people get mutilated. And it's like, all right, without th- without the context, without the gravitas, without the depth, it's just like I said. I keep comparing it to porn, and it's like you, you know, whatever kind of porn you like, if you just like watching, you know, something happen, and you like the kind of thing that's happening, I guess it's fine. But if you like a little more meat on the bone for your movies, these are not for you. Past the first one. No. Anything else, Sean? If not, we're going to call it. No, I really got nothing else. Just in terms of these, absolutely watch the first one. I believe every human being should see it at least once. Maybe give the second one a try. It's all right. You won't be sorry you watched it. Don't waste your time on the third one. No, stop after that. Don't watch the one on Disney Plus either. All right, um, so that is our Christmas show. Yay! Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, No show from us tomorrow, but I'm sure I will put up a Movies That Suck and Some That Don't episode. Saturday um, is another previously aired Screaming Boy show that's re-airing on W2M. And this one talks about crappy Transformers. Yay, Ronnie. Um, no metal hammer of doom Sunday. Instead, my son and I, it's Christmas Eve. And, you know, there's a tradition in this family of or the, of um, my kids and I doing commentary tracks for holiday themed movies. You know, just movies in general. Uh, we did, Last one we did was Howard the Duck because duck boobs. Woo! 
Um, before that, <laughs> we've done like the Nightmare Before Christmas, and for Easter, my son and I did Ben Hur. That was fantastic. Um, yeah, the the one that bombed historically, not not the classic. Um, we, that was a lot of me and him going, "Come on, get to the chariot races already." Poor kid. <laughs> um, so this time, uh, this this Sunday, much to Jason Teasley's chagrin, we're gonna do Santa Claus from 2014, which is about a which is about a cat. Meow. He's a cat. Meow. Flush the toilet. He's a cat. Meow. Flush the toilet. <laughs> so my son and I will take some holiday cheer, and we will do Santa Claus com uh, commentary track on Christmas Eve. No show Christmas Day, though Jesse will have an unspoken issues for the 1996 Marvel Holiday Special. And then um, next week, because Christmas Day is Monday, Tuesday, uh, we'll be doing Damn You Hollywood. It'll be myself, Robert Winfrey, and the ever-interrupting Alexis Haina. And we'll be talking about Aquaman and the end of the DC Universe. And then on Thursday, um, myself and Pat are going to try this a third time. And if we don't do it this time, I ain't doing it at all. Not, no, never. Uh, the Barrera Morales trilogy on the history of boxing. Uh, that's all for me. Thanks. I'm driving. Show, uh, who are you? Sean, show us where you twist and shout. <laughs> twist and shout. Follow, follow me on threads, Instagram, and Twitch at Comer Codex. Um, in particular, I'm going to be, I've been back to streaming lately. Been playing some more Overwatch, getting ready for my last big ranked grind before I swap over to fighting games. Um, I'm going to be streaming Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day. Um, time to be determined. Your best bet to find out is going to be just probably to follow me on Instagram and threads because I'll be saying something there. All right. The next time Sean will be on uh, will be the end of January. Uh, it'll be myself and Sean. We'll be doing a triple feature uh, Thursday night at 9 Eastern Standard. And this was one Sean pitched. I've been kind of pitching most of the stuff we've done lately since, uh, you know, our, our third go around here. But he picked me. He pitched this one. And, you know, because I am not the dictator I am made out to be. Um, I said, OK, sure. Anything but. <laughs> so it's an animated triple feature that Sean picked. Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, The Legend of Chun Li. Oh, no, no, this is the animated one. Sorry. This is the other movies yeah. we hadn't gotten to yet. Yeah. <clears throat> the live action ones. Um, Street Fighter, the, the live action movie. Street Fighter 2, The Legend of Chun Li, and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Hopefully, we can yep. get these watched before David Zaslav takes them off of Max. So that'll be fun. Yes, we've already done an on trial for the original Mortal Kombat movie, and we've never talked about the Street Fighter ones. And God knows I've wanted to for the longest time. Mm. So that'll be the next. That'll be the next uh, triple feature that we do. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. All right, so folks. Thank you again for spending your uh, part of your early holiday with us. We had a pretty decent audience for us tonight live, so we appreciate those uh -huh. of you who watched on our various Facebook pages, or X, or um, you know, right here on YouTube, or. Robert's brother who watched on Twitch. We very much appreciate you all. <laughs> That's you, buddy. Yeah, that is you. Uh, one of our fans, Robert's brother. Good to his mother. All right, folks. That's it. That's all for me. Thanks. I'm driving. For Sean Comer, you're not. I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.